Oh, we're here. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Episode of DTI YDK. Don't talk if you don't know. It's a new set. It's a new season. And with that is a couple of changes to the format for the same old guests with myself, Rodan, as well as my co-host, Bryce. Bryce, how are you doing today? It's been a heck of a week. Uh, the world feels doomed. My daughter has been home sick all week, so I've been trying to juggle that and work. But Anytime we're here, it's like my oasis. I don't get to, I don't think about anything else, just TFT, and that is my happy place. So I'm happy to be here. That's right. And also equally happy to be here. We have more dog and Asa, our special guests for today to kick things off. Let's check in with. Mort Dog himself. Mort, how's it going, man? You've you've had a couple of things going on lately. <laughs> it has been a long few weeks, I'm not gonna lie. But the good news is today was sort of my last day of stuff to do before our sort of summer break. Um, so nice. I have the next like 10 days off, so that's kind of nice. Uh hopefully recoup, play some TFT, just hit masters like literally an hour ago. So nice. sweet. Amazing. Um, but yeah, just you know, a little tired, not gonna lie. <laughs> That's right, but you told us that your tactics that tactics flexibility score is S plus. Yes. So yes. you know it, it, that feels really good, doesn't it? Yes, got to live up to the name. Got to do my job. That's if that says S plus, I'm doing my job. So all right, excellent, excellent. Asa, how's it going, man? How's your set seven experience been so far? I'm doing good. Um, been uh, just climbing today. I had uh, just went two one one, so pretty happy about that. Just hit rank three. And yeah, my flexibility is a D. Uh, <laughs> I cannot play Zaya for the life of me. Every time I play Zaya, I lose LP. Um, but yeah, pr pretty, uh, pretty happy. Glad to be here. I'm glad we're getting That's the up, the upbeat good. version of Asa. It was nerve wracking there for a little bit. For the for you who don't know, we actually se selected these guests like a few weeks ago, uh, actually a little bit longer. <laughs> and so Asa, you know, a little bit of struggles. I was like, are we gonna have like a, a hard stock? D1 player on the podcast. <laughs> What's oh, going God. On? Oh, man. I, okay, to be fair, I think like a couple of people have that experience. It felt like the set was harder to climb for whatever reason. Still does feel like it. I think this is the longest we've ever seen like Challenger take to fill out. Is there, there's no like system that changes more behind nope. this reason, right? Nope. We did some changes to double up, but not to the core one. So, okay. Not entirely sure why. Maybe maybe just because uh, I suck. But no, uh, we're not here to talk about our ladder adventures too much and to flame how bad I'm at the game. We're here to flame your favorite players of TFT. That's right. This is the podcast where we talk about all the rankings and breakdowns, everything. So let's start things off nice and fresh with the reveal of the top 15 power ranked players in TFT currently, as we can pull it up on screen. And apologies for the production. We switched to Skype for this time around, but it seems to have free, uh, frozen on us. We have to be a little bit delayed. But here we go with the actual rankings. We have a tie for first place, which is never before happened. Exact point totals between Sox and Setsuko. Then we have Milk in third, Spicy Appies in fourth, Dish Soap making a huge appearance at fifth. Soju, Robin, Ramblin, Bert making an appearance again. Spencer, Goobums, Goose, Solus, Asa, and Kiyun. There's so much to break down, Bryce, but uh, what's the first story that you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the snubs or do you want to talk about the power ranks that we have? Oh, here? I think let's talk about the snubs as a starting point because I think that this is the first time that actually we've got, we got the feedback from across the board. So many different people said, can we do more than 15? 
which is the first time we've ever had that. If anything, last set, it felt like people were kind of fighting to figure out who they wanted to put on the end of their list. But this was the opposite. We had another seven or eight people, I think, getting some points and some people who had a bunch of points that historically would have made the threshold, but it wasn't enough this time. Yeah, that's right. Kurum missed by one point. Oh, he would have tied Kiyun at 26, but he's on the outside looking in. Then some disrespect for players like DQ who made it to his second world championship, also top 10 in North America, and yet still on the outside. Wait, Asa, I'm going to go to you first. When you look at these snubs, you know, do you feel like that's accurate? Do you feel like some of these players actually should be in the top 15? Um, I mean... My top 15, like the list I made, there's only one player that was different, and it was Chrome X was on it. Uh, but like, it's like you guys said, it was really hard. It was really, really hard to pick just 15. Um, oh, actually, DQA also uh, was also on it. Uh, it was really hard to pick just 15. I had such a hard time picking just 15 that I chose not to put myself on there because like, I didn't like rate myself, even though I think maybe I should be. Yeah. Um, Rap move. You yeah, gotta have so the courage. Hard. Bump someone else. <laughs> but yeah, hilarious. I think all these people on the snub list are really good, obviously. So awesome, awesome. All right, Mort, now it's time for you to chime in. Out of these players that you're seeing here, which which of them actually do you personally enjoy watching the most? Just to start things off here. Uh, so me personally, like Kuramex is obviously a fun streamer to watch. Um, but interestingly enough, has had awesome performance on the ladder. When I was doing my rankings, I was like, where are they at in the ladder? What are like their win rate, their top four rate combined with like previous experience? I had Kuramex at sixth in my list. So to see him not quite make oh, wow. it, that was a really big snub from what I'm seeing on set seven. He seems to be like kicking this set's butt. Um, DQA and Aniko, I also, like, I had Aniko as 15 and DQA was, like, my 16. Um, so those ones, it's like, I can see it, I can see how that one's debatable, but Kuramex to me feels like the really big snub based on ladder performance. Let, let's hone in on that specifically. You rate Kuram the highest out of anybody. Top 6 is very competitive with a bunch of names that you, you always see being reiterated but you're the only person that rates, rates Kurum this highly why is that so again i'm not gonna i'm not an expert in this space compared to everyone else so bear with me here but what i did like i said i looked at their ladder stats and Kurum x had like really high top four really high win rates this set then i combined that with like past experience you know he's won regionals before he's done very good in tournaments all of that combined this looks like a set that Kurum x is going to be more comfortable in and we've seen people be have like good sets and bad sets so all signs to me, based on what I was seeing, was Kuramex is doing really, really where, really, really well. Compare that to like Goobums, who's clearly like off a hot last set, but seems to be struggling really hard this set. So it just it made no sense to me how, for example, you could put Kuramex below Goobums. Like Kuramex is just kicking its ass right now. And so if we assume right this second, that just made the most sense to me. I think that makes sense as well. Just I mean, Kuram's refreshed. He talked about how taking 6.5 basically completely off competitively has really helped reset his mental uh and some players are fatigued because they basically didn't have time off i know milk was saying like because he qualified for worlds twice in a row he's felt like he's never had an off season in cft and as a result pushing him a little bit to his limits but i think he's doing okay thus far pacing it out so with that the snub list also gotta give a shout out to number 20 Pressed event. This guy got votes, and that's plural. Multiple people believed in him. Bryce, Four. what a time to be alive! What a time to be alive! I and mean, we look, we meme around about Pressman all the time because it is so fun to meme around, around about Pressman. He has such a good personality for it. But 
He is quietly getting better and better at TFT. This dude is a sponge. He has not played for very long. I mean, in comparison to everyone else in the top 20, he's probably played TFT the least long or among, right? I don't remember exactly when everyone started. I know like Ace is relatively new, for example. Um, and he's cracked at basically every game he plays. So it's not surprising that we're seeing him here. And I just want to see him keep pushing because if he keeps pushing, he's not just going to be potentially on the list. He could get scary. Oof. All right. All right. We'll see. Bryce already gassing up. He got let's not <laughs> jump the gun a little bit too early here. So let's go back to the rankings, break it down a little bit more granular in terms of some of the stories that we're looking at. Uh, so to start things off, Setsuko and Sox tie for number one. This is kind of contentious. I think a lot of people weren't even putting Sox at number one in terms of the discussion of best player because Setsuko is kind of running away with the ladder in terms of LP. But so why is Sox so high, Bryce? Like what, what what's putting him so, uh, you know, up there in a lot of players' minds when they're voting? I don't even think this is close. I think if there were a, a tournament held tomorrow with 500 games played, which is the prompt that we use, that Sox would finish significantly ahead of Setsuko. I think there's a very big gap there, if I'm being honest. I think that if a lot of newer TFT fans don't know how good Sox is, because it's been basically three sets since he was really in peak form. I mean, I remember when he played, uh, I mean, it's our podcast, we can say, when he played Bang Bros, when he was a Bang Bros one trick, uh, <laughs> Slash Bros, for those of you who want to be the PC version, uh, he, I was like personally devastated. I like, Dan and I were talking about, I was like, I'm so sad because yeah, when this guy right. plays flexible TFT, there is nothing quite like it. He He thinks about the game at such a deep level. I've never seen anything like it since then. I mean, I haven't gotten a chance to like deeply study the CN player VODs, for example. It's harder for me, but Sox is really special. And I feel like he's been out of form set four, five, and six, if I'm being honest about it. Not that he's been bad. He's he Sox. He's still incredibly good. But when you watch his early attention to this set and the way he seems to be approaching it, I'm not saying he's all the way back to peak form, but it's the first time I felt like he's on that path this early in the set. And if he's able to stick with it, you know, Ryan's a little bit older and being a parent to a young kid, I know that timeline. He's actually in a stage now where he can really focus on TFT again if he wants to. And uh -huh. I mean, I, like, I think he's going to be number one by the end of the set. I really do. A lot of people put Sox at number one or just gave him really high rankings. Goobums ranked Sox number one. Ramkev ranked Sox number one. But the thing is that no one ranked him really lower than fourth, which, by the way, just as a little different call to action, if you head over to the website, esports.gg slash TFTPR, I'm going to type it in chat, you can see everyone's individual ballot. And you can also vote for which ballot you think did the best. So if you think that Mort Dog has the <laughs> best take, this is an opportunity to vote for Mort Dog. If you think that Bryce has the best take, you can go and vote for him. We'll, we'll probably pick. Uh, the panels panelists include Soju, Natures, who organizes tournaments, Robin, Spencer, Setsuko also voted as well. And, of course, our producer, Gangly, yours truly as well, Frodam. So make sure you check that out while we get a chance to talk about that. Uh, Asa, you've played against Sox and Setsuko the most. Is it, does it feel right that they're top two and even tied here in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, I have Milk as one, but I have Sox and Setsuko, I think, as two and three, I believe. Um, I think, I mean, Setsuko, like, his la like the, the amazing, like, how high LP he reaches. And Sox, I, I actually study with Sox a lot. Um, so I th think he's really good as well. Okay, okay. A lot of people have tried to define Satsuko's play of why he is so good at ladder specifically. I want to hear your take about what you think 
separates Setsuko from your other ladder players who are so good at climbing? I think it's just doing like just doing like small things better. Anytime like you you miss like strongest board like where it's like you most people might be inclined to like maybe put in a synergy when like another unit might be stronger or something. So just every single time you can identify just one instance of that or identify like one item slam being better than another, um, then that's just gonna raise your higher average placement. So it's just like very, very small things adding up basically. And I also I don't think he's like that far breakaway from like a lot of the other people at the top right now but yeah i think he's yeah he's very good got it copy that um <laughs> and so we I, I had another topic here as why asa did rank himself he already said he just couldn't fit everybody if you were to rank yourself though asa being very honest okay look it's it's completely off the cuff where do you think you actually sit currently right now in this ranking um, also, we submitted these rankings like a week ago or so. Yeah. So I think it'd be different now, but I think it's it was pre B patch. That's the key, yeah. right? It was like on Monday. So this was based on last patch, not the current patch. But I think it'd be probably somewhere in the middle around like we're around like uh, Soju. Okay. Okay. More so I when you talked. Yeah. We... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Asa. What's up? Uh, I said, like, and then, like, Soju hit rank one. So it's like, oh, like, that was, ap- that was like, after. So it's like, oh, maybe I might move him up because of that. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to talk a little bit about Soju, but I also want to kind of take Mort's approach to rankings in general. Again, very unique. We talked about Kuramex. But I want to just, like, hear your thoughts on, in general, what are some things that stand out to you? Because you also have a pretty spicy top end of your rankings. You ranked Spicy Appy's number one, and you put Dish Soap number two, and you put Robin number three. And I think that's the only, uh, you're the only person that put this trio specifically in your top three. Yeah, again, it's hard for me to keep up with everything, especially with the crazy week I've had. But I went and looked at, like, ladder statistics, right? And especially this early in a set, ladder is heavily skewed by games played. Uh, that's not to say ladder is always skewed by games played or that it is the only factor, but certainly two players of equal skill, one playing more games is going to end up a lot higher. So I tried to focus on like win rate, top four rate, flexibility, things like that, and then combined with performance. And so that's where someone like Spicy Appies, because uh, the other thing to note here, and I had Setsuko as 13, which is probably one of the lower Oof. ones. Yeah. Uh, And again, the reason for that is I think Setsuko is really, really good on the ladder where you're playing against people that are, you know, 800 LP lower than you, quite a bit worse than you. And he's shown that he can optimize that and get the highest average placement pretty heavily. But every time historically he goes up against players of equal skill in a full lobby, he just doesn't perform. And so I I don't know how you can rank someone like that. It's like, yep, they sure beat up a bunch of less skilled players. Number one, that makes no sense to me, especially again when the prompt is a tournament of a bunch of equal skilled players. I, there's just no historic pattern to say that to be the case. So wow. one thing I think gets overlooked about Satsuko is that his tournament performances are trending up. So two sets ago, you're right, they were like really, really bad. Last set, they were okay. He had a couple of decent term performances. He doesn't have wins to his name, but I don't really personally value wins that highly when I look at it. I think more about consistency and how well he does kind of on average in tournaments where he plays. And it's not the best tournament resume, for sure. But I do think that he showed adaptation in some of the tournaments he played this set, where the in the most recent sets at six, where he 
I felt like he was understanding some of the weak points in his game that were habits that he had kind of crutched from beating up on weaker players on ladder. Cause I completely agree with that analysis. And I think there's a number of people that kind of bring bad habits from ladder to tournaments. It felt like he was working on it and I was seeing potential in his play and his, his, his raw game skill is super, super high. So I feel like he's trending in a really good direction overall for tournaments. And I think he could have a much better set seven, but it would not shock me to see him be kind of a middle of the pack tournament player. Okay. Okay. So it's a more dog diff, right? <laughs> if he ranked Setsuka one placement higher, he would be number one over Sock. So that already <laughs> is enough of a spicy take, but I got to ask about the player right above him because Setsuko you ranked 13th, mm -hmm. but in 12th, you ranked Milk, yep. who also has historically put a lot of tournament performances. I mean, Bryce says he didn't put a lot of stock in it. Milk is the most winning player <laughs> in North America as of regionals uh, of what happened last set. So he is the greatest NA tournament player. You don't have faith that he would perform based off your ballot. What do you just have to say about that? Yeah, so two things. Uh, I mean, well, three, actually. The first is, yeah, I, I've if, if there's any player I've watched a lot of, I've watched a lot of Milk. I know his play style very well. The prompt was, right now, we are early in a set. Early in a set, Milk is not great. He's still learning. He's still figuring out who to copy, how to copy, how to learn it. He is not the innovator, never has been. And so right now, there's <laughs> no way you can rank him number one. And then combine that with, again, I still am very biased against his play style of learn two or three comps, go to tactics.tools and look up the augments and make your choices. And until he ever fixes that, there's no way he's ever going to be number one and he's never going to win worlds. And I've tried to tell him this. He doesn't listen. He's still a very good player, obviously. And in fact, I've, I've said this before, and this is my spicy take, is that if Milk is doing well, the meta is in a bad spot. So, Woo! Can you elaborate a little bit more just so we yeah, understand what Yeah, what means. I mean is that Milk does really, really well when there are two to three comps that are very high performing, usually one or two above the rest, and Milk figures out how to play those better than everybody else. And he really does. He's we Go back to Kled, right? He was the best Kled player in the world by far. It wasn't even close. But that's not how you win tournaments, right? And the thing that would give him an edge in a bad meta is like 500 games, large sample size. Yeah, Milk would come out ahead. But a lot of the tournaments that, you know, we're talking about like Worlds are like six, 12 game sample sizes. And that's just where he, he struggles. And he just doesn't know the outs like our China players do. So. All right. All right. So we gave Mort the floor. <laughs> Asa, Bryce, do you do you agree with more or do you want a counterpoint? We, we have a debate segment, by the way, coming up, but this is not even part of it. I love it. <laughs> well, so I I completely disagree with this. I feel like Asia's go first. I'm happy to add a little bit of color, but this is going to be at the heart of the debate that Morton and I are going to have later when you okay, really think okay. about it. I mean, Milk true, is like true, this true. great example. So I'll, I'll give Asa the floor. Maybe I'll say a quick word. But Asa and I think both have a number one, right? We're, we're both touching on some things that we're going to debate on later. But yeah, I yeah. think... Uh, I do think like what Moore said, I've been studying a lot of China pods recently because I do believe China is the best region and I want like I want to get better at the game. And I think China, China, they like even in a tournament like they're the KR versus China tournament. And I watched a uh, 6.5 as well. Uh, Worlds China hard forces way more than like anyone <laughs> yeah. in L NA. Yeah. like and like I don't know, it, it works out for them. And I think like I said, I think they're the best region, and I, so maybe that's just the way to go. It's, it's really difficult to balance uh, TFT where there's not, like, one I, comp you make at level 8 I, that is the most consistent and the best. 
I, I have to interject there. I think China on ladder hard forces, especially when they're trying to like learn things. But again, if you go back to all the tournaments when the China players are winning, there's no hard forcing going on there. So to say China is a hard forcing region just feels like factually incorrect. Okay, Lilu skipped a shop with three Dravens, Devonair Draven, because he wanted to play Silver One. <laughs> I remember that. He also had he okay, also no, no. his items were BT and I forgot the other items, but like he had way better <laughs> yeah. Draven items too. But he just wanted to play Silver yeah, One. Yeah. Yeah. Like BT losses or something like that. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. I think. Um. I think at its core, it's it's unfair to characterize China as an entire region. Certain players in China yeah. will be hard forcing. Huan Mi hard yeah. forces very yeah. often, but some players are super yeah. flexible and they're rewarded for it. And I think that's what makes China so scary is because these six players that come, they they're capable of playing all kinds of ways that really optimize TFT yeah. in that devastating yeah. okay the only point i want to make here because i don't want to touch too much on the debate topic is it's so interesting to me more that you think of milk as a much better late set player because i think that his play style tends to thrive early in sets right it's really really hard to balance tft even when you have months to of data of live players taking a crack at it coming out of pv i think it, actually the opening meta of of set seven was one of the better opening metas yes. we've seen there was more things viable it felt pretty good to play the first weekend it became pretty degen by the time the patch was coming around but that's always kind of what's going to happen so i think it was like a really good job by the balancing team overall on launch but the prompt was on the last patch, you know, yep. on Monday, if there was a tournament of 500 games, it was a pretty narrow meta by that time. And that had milk written all over it to me. I mean, it was, a, it was when I did my rankings, oftentimes I kind of agonized over number one, I plugged milk in number one and then just thought about everything else and where I wanted everyone else to go. It was so clear to me that it was a milk meta if we had had a yeah. tournament on that day. So I, I agree with that. The other thing I'll throw out is to even take aside my biases of milk, when I actually looked at the stats on like top fours and win rate, Milk was actually surprisingly lower than a lot of people also. So that was the other thing that drug him down for me. So Well, the thing, the thing about that, though, is there was a weird chunk in the middle where he was trying to force a line that he thought was broken, mm -hmm. but wasn't. And so he just had like he gotcha. had a day where he went like eight and it completely tanked his rankings. Uh, yeah, his data pulled out that then it was actually his ranking. Okay. His, his stats were insane. Okay. There was a day where he tried to play set reroll and he literally yeah. averaged a seven. Yeah, it, was it was like you had eight, eight, I saw that six, Wait, that comp eight, was so seven, good seven, though. Six. But that comp was good. That was the yeah. funny thing too. I averaged like a yeah, two. Yeah. I, I don't even think that comp was that good, but yeah, it was definitely better than a seven average for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the other people on this rankings that I think are really fascinating. Some moves up. Let's focus on that. First, let's talk about Dish Soap. Dish Soap. When uh, came in as a relatively new player in set six, had some amazing ladder results, is keeping up the results, and now has impressed so many people that he has leapfrogged from 15th to five. Now, do we feel like this is justified? Some people left Dish Soap off. The the only actually, it's only one person. Goobums left Dish Soap off. Said he didn't know exactly where to place them. Just didn't feel like he had slots for him. But a lot of people that did put Dish Soap put him very highly as well. Bryce, what's your first reaction to this? I think five is too high. I'm not saying he's not capable of being there. I really enjoy when he streams. He doesn't stream that often, but I love watching. I think he brings really interesting ideas to his TFT, and it is very clear to me that his skill ceiling is super high. But when I study his play deeply, especially in tournaments, I don't think he's there yet. I mean, if you looked at where he was like at regionals, for example, when theoretically he should have been in peak form, and you compare him to uh, the other big AP player in the field, which is Ramblin, 
the gap between Ramblin and Dish Soap was was a chasm at that time. I mean, Dish Soap really was only good at the linear versions of the core AP lines, Renata and Ari, but had not really figured out all of the ancillary lines, how to bridge them as well as Ramblin did. He wasn't as, he was a little bit more narrow in the way which he approached the early mid game in comparison to Ramblin. So is really I, there are players that I look at like Gubbins is a great example of this. When I first watched Gubbins, whatever it was four sets ago, I thought great potential. Excited to see him realize that, and I think Dish Soap is on his path of realizing that. I when I was doing my rankings, I put him at the bottom of my list of people who I think are in form right now. So there's like a clear gap for me. I have him at eight, and then everyone below that at the time I felt like wasn't really in in true form. Um, and so I was like, I can't move him lower than eight because it feels like he's really good at this patch. His ladder stats are insane, and I think really highly of his potential as a player. But like in comparison to Ramblin, Gubum, Spencer, Asa, right? Asa wasn't I didn't think was fully clicking yet at that time. If I if I ranked Asa today, he would for sure be above Dish Soap, for example. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I do want to make one correction, by the way. Gubum said that he didn't watch enough Dish Soap, didn't feel justified in ranking him. Probably would put him top 10. Uh, Issa, again, you've probably played against Dish Soap the most out of any of us. His ascension, do you feel, again, is justified? Do you agree with Bryce's take here? Um. Yeah, I mean, again, like, we're, like, kind of bleeding into the debate we're going to have later. But, like, Dish Soap, there is, Um. he just doesn't have, like, the past tournament history. Obviously, like, his ladder results... Uh, this set have been like either the best or second best, depending on whether you think they're better or worse than Setsuko. But they're either number one or number two, right? Like pretty much undeniably. Um, but yeah, he just like we we just need to see that like tournament performance. There's some difference in tournament, of course. So okay, more you value him very highly. You put him second on your ballot, yep. which isn't even the highest. Setsuko, by the way, put Dish Soap as number one, which is. Really he high respect. Really fast. Does anyone believe that? I don't believe that for a second. I think Setsuko just put him there because he wanted himself one. So why? It was because you felt like he 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 couldn't ego himself, right? Is yeah, that yeah. I that? think I think you put a gun to Setsuko's head and oh, say th at the time of the ranking he puts himself one for sure. No, I think that's reasonable. Okay, for Dish Soap because like Dish Soap's uh like win rates and stuff like his LP is lower than Setsuko, sure. but like his his win rates are like pretty uh phenomenal. Sure. It is his stats are very impressive. Is that what caught your eye more? Why you put him so high? Yeah, this is one where, admittedly, I'm a little behind. Uh, admittedly, like I've watched Dish Soap for like an hour, um, but when you look at those stats and the stat lines, this set it was really impressive. The way he came out of you know the bang, took really early leads, been running away with it. Those top four rates were insane. I think when I, at the time I checked, you know, it was like literally the highest. And so that combined with lack of tournament, I was like, yeah, it seems like he's a really good up-and-comer, could do really well right now. Ask me in two weeks, maybe it goes back down. Um, but, yeah, this is one where I, I kind of defaulted to the stats a bit, and his stats are insane. So, Very close. I mean, if, if a couple of votes down, Disop would be you know, closer towards 7 or 8 range even. Uh, and, you know, people like Soju would move up. Let's, let's talk a little bit about some people who are moving down. Um, Ramblin, Goobums, what happened? Bryce, these are players, some people left Ramblin off their ballot. Ramkev and Mortog left Ramblin off their ballot. What's going on with Ramblin? Okay, so Ramkev was an accident. He actually messaged me like a day and a half after the rankings were due Wait, and, said, <laughs> and said, I forgot to rank 
Ramblin' and Goobums. Can I do this? And I was like, bro, it's like way too late. I said, oh, I try, okay. I pinged, and it was like, yeah, way too late. The graphics are done. So he would have. Uh, I don't think it's unfair, though, if we're being honest. I think that a lot of Ramblin' being here right now is reputation. I haven't gotten to study him like today or yesterday, but it's clearly been struggling to click. He's a research-oriented player, so I think he does, like I was talking about Milk, I think Ramblin' scales up and up and up to infinity over the course of a set. So I, I can't put him lower than where I put him because I believe that like if you did put a term with 500 games that mattered, which is the whole theory of this, right? Everyone cares and is investing. I think he does find a way to figure it out. Um, but he's definitely not like there, there right now. And Goobums is the same, except for Goobums is, I think Goobums is like mostly fucking around if I'm being honest, right? Like when I watch his stream, I don't get the impression he's trying to learn on some level, but, uh, and he does absorb information similarly to Ramblin, but I don't feel like he feels any pressure whatsoever to be highly ranked. And so he's not. Yeah, that's fair. Also, Goobums is really become more of a streamer these days. So it feels like a lot of times he's putting on a show. <laughs> That's not an insult. Why is that an insult? <laughs> streaming. I, look, I don't think it's streaming an insult. Really hard. I don't think More, it's you an should insult know. generally. I think Goobums would take that as an insult. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I, what I'm saying is his focus is on his content and putting out his streams consistently. He's not worried about pushing for rank one and holding rank one and then camping it while climbing on a second account like some other people do. Anyways, Mort, <laughs> you left Ramblin off. No. I'm going to deflect no, the no, aggression no. back towards you. Ramblin's my number nine. Oh, then what? Is this incorrect then? I you left Ramblin off. Okay, so then there's there's something wrong on our graphic, or on our internal tracker, Bryce, we have to oh, fix. Okay. Somebody else left Ramblin off. And it said Mort Dog did, so I guess that's a mistake on my end. No, I, I had Ramblin okay. at nine. I think a lot of the same stuff is that he's struggling, and it's an AP, you know, an AP met weak meta right now, and he's generally been a stronger AP player. I think those two things are working against him. But I also think he's the kind of player that, like, doesn't necessarily throw himself at the game 100% all the time, often has other mm -hmm. things going on, uh, you know, in his personal life. And I think that's one of those times right now that he's just not 100% there. But, yeah, you still have to default to the skill that he's got that we all know he has. Uh, and so that's why he was my number nine. Like, there's no way he doesn't make top ten, even if he, like, took the set off, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can agree with that, too. Okay, well, we don't have to beat the horse too much on this. A couple of the names that we wrote down in our agenda, Birdosaurus and Kiyun making appearances. I think Bert might be one of the... You know, lowest of keys, most talented players in TFT. This dude does take regular breaks. Last episode, I said there's only a handful of players that I think can truly take breaks from TFT and just kind of snap it on in any moment. And a couple of them, you know, they talk about like Nubal, for example, who does that. But Birdosaurus is just never talked about. And I think he's always a strong contender in any tournament that he enters as well. Uh, so, Bryce, when you look at a player like Bird. What stands out about him to you? And like, because I don't think a lot of people are talking about him. Yeah, people don't talk about him enough. Probably the most underrated player in North American TFT right now. I think that is a mantle that Appies can officially pass on <laughs> since I think people now appropriately rate him very highly. Took them long enough. Maybe Ramkev would be the other person in that conversation. But Bird is one of the best TFT players in North America, period. He has top three, top five, top one potential. And I think what I really like about Bert is that a lot of this game, a lot of the influencers, a lot of the pros bring other people's opinions to the table as fact, 
right? Someone tells them this is bad and they all just start parroting it. Like it goes like down the line. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And they all like consensus agree. And then they just haven't really thought about it or done it. Like, for example, we were hanging with a Nico yesterday playing. Uh, I played a Deja game in Executioners, which everyone said is bad. And I was like, Nico, I don't know who told you an Executioner Deja is bad. I think it's totally fine to play from ahead as long as you pl you don't play crit. You have to play upfront damage. You like want death cap, right? Like you want early damage in the fight. You don't want the crit build. Uh, and lo and behold, it was a really easy game. It was a first and it was like a pretty decisive first and... and I think that there's a lot of that that happens in TFT, and that's a long-winded way of saying Bert is not part of that club. Bert is really good at bringing his own ideas to the table. He thinks deeply about the game. There was a tournament where he stomped the field playing three-cost carries in a meta when literally no one else in the field was playing around three-costs. The entire field was playing four-cost carries, and Bert just played three-costs every game and just destroyed everybody. And I think that's really like representative of Bert's approach to the game, and he's and he can play in any meta. It's not just reroll or three-cost. He can play anything. He's really really good fantastic that's a, that's a great breakdown i don't think we need to add too much more to it uh, i want to ask asa keun is kind of back people are ranking him again do, you know do you feel like Keun's kind of back in form he also did pretty well in twitch rivals just give us a little bit of your insight into his play from uh, uh from the other side of the table yeah i mean i ranked him because he did well in twitch rivals i watched some of his games uh, I, I watched some games from everyone i ranked that's one reason i could not rank Bertosaurus. Um, but yeah, he they they got second, I think, against Milk and to Milk and Soju. That was King and Precedent. Uh I don't really know what else to say. Watch this game, he's a well. Fair enough. I mean a lot a lot of the show is breaking down, you know, what is it about these players of why they're ranked. Yeah, know, I would I would say like what they did. I might rank him like higher, but I feel like he made like some plays that I thought were like pretty big mistakes. But I have to. I have breaking news, everybody. Soju has just messaged me. Can I put Kurum over Robin and kick everyone down? <laughs> <laughs> we're doing the show. That's what I literally said. I said, bro, we're literally live right now talking about your rankings. And he responded, uh, I, what did he say? He said, too bad, Kurum above Robin and everyone down. <laughs> I'm telling you, Kurum's good right now. Oh, he's for sure right. I don't think that it's wrong. That I, I think he for sure deserves to be up there. It's just, you know, classic. Yeah. It's tough because even going back, I want to revise it, right? I left. Yeah, East totally. Turn them off. I want them both on now after watching a little bit more about how the patch has shifted. But that's kind of the dynamics of it. And that's what makes it really exciting in terms of highlighting certain players versus those that get snubbed and maybe have a chip on their shoulder. And also, Soju, please get it right the first time. Ram Kev. <laughs> don't forget about the bumps in. Look, it's hard I to type 15 that. names. Wait, we have to talk about Soju quickly. Are we, are we not? We, I feel like... Well, I guess we haven't. Yeah, we haven't talked about Soju. All right, let's did, talk about it. Does talk anyone else really fast, just to frame this up, does anyone else look at the set and think that this is like kind of custom built for Soju? Like, I think this is a really, really good set for the way Soju plays TFT. Say more. Okay, so I think that it's because dragons are high cost. I think that it's going to be spend a bunch of time in a fast eight oriented meta, which is obviously where Soju thrives. I think that Soju is somewhere in between the super narrow, narrow players like Milk and the super wide players. And I think that this set is good for that because I think that the dragons limit pivoting across from different trees. And so he's really good at understanding like, okay, like from this spot, I can flex around these one, two, three things from these other, uh, from these other spots. I, I can really only play this thing. And he's really good at making a decision in his head about when he commits to the line. And then he commits to the line. He plays it really, really well. 
He's really good at capping out boards, which I think that there's so, I think legendary power is back this set. And I think there's a ton of different ways to mix and match your five costs and optimize them. And so I think that when you look at this set, he's not an influencer. <laughs> I, I really truly think Soju is a top five player, not just on this initial ranking, but for the entire set, as long as he stays in form. I was not surprised to see him climb rank one. I would not be surprised to see him make worlds. Wow. All right, hold on. Worlds is five months away, Bryce. Let's. He first has to qualify for regionals. Last time they <laughs> went down to the wire, and he had to narrowly do Challenger Series qualify through. But I, I, I like a lot of what you're saying. More, you, you kind of had an immediate reaction there. What, what were you thinking? So, well, my first immediate reaction was I can confirm the set was in fact not custom built. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but I actually agree with a lot of what Bryce is saying. Uh, once the the dragons get kind of like their power level where they're supposed to be, like Aurelian Soul becomes a playable champion, Ao Shen becomes playable, things like that. Soju has historically been very, very good at the early game. Eighty-five percent of his games, the other fifteen, he just hard eights, you know, whatever. But in those games he does well, yeah, he is one of the best players to, like, fast 8, fast 9. And I agree with you, Bryce, that, like, the set, because the dragons don't allow as much flex in that late game, like, just grab all the 4 and 5s and play around that, they're a little bit more limiting. That does play up to Soju's advantage. Uh, and the thing with Soju was always be that he's always had that potential to be one of the best, if not the best, in NA. It's just how much he wants to put into it, and... Hopefully this set, he feels like he wants to put a lot into it. And if he does, cool. I think you're right. I agree with you. So. Okay. Okay. Well, 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 time will tell. So far, he's killing it. I mean, at the beginning of each set, it's always Soju at rank one or pushing rank one. It's about whether or not his motivation can stay at that level. I think no one really doubts his potential. Oh. Uh, and with I, that, I, I think... completely disagree with oh. both Bright and more Price and more actually. Because oh. I, I think that Dragons oh. make it like less flexible late game. I think Soju's really good at playing like a flexible comp post level eight instead of just like slotting in, you know, like last set for example, we had Sivir, like four four two, where it's like you don't really change any pieces. I think he's really good at playing like a flexible board at level eight and nine. But I feel like the dragons make it like I think Al Shin, like you can kind of flex around him because he's your only damage unit and you can play whatever else. But I, I don't know if it's just because it's early in the set and we haven't figured it out yet. But I feel like right now, like the boards are not that flexible. For example, the Soju's best comp is Zaya. And it's not like you can just slot in legendaries. Like you can't just take out your Kiana for Pike. You can't just take out Sejuani for Soraka. Like your board doesn't get stronger if you do that. So yeah, I, I actually think it's the opposite. Interesting. Okay. Well, I like what everyone has brought here. We are going to move on to the next segment, but we'll see how this ages for the next ranking because, you know, we had the Astral Cup coming up. They're going to compete, and then we'll do a little bit of a review afterwards. All right. So with that, we close up the rankings discussion and move on to a segment that we are appropriating from Team Fight Talk Show because that. That show does no longer exist. It's called Agree. Ooh. It's a segment where we throw out some hot takes in TFT and we ask everybody on the show if they agree. And so we're going to just put out some statements here. So the first one uh, is from Asa. This is an Asa special. It says, you should see someone's scouting little legend the moment you click the board. Can you, can you explain a little bit more about this, Asa? Okay. Personally... I think that is the biggest problem with TFT, where it's like you have to flicker scout, where you have to like go to their board and then go to your board. Otherwise, they will see your little legend. And 
I know I had this discussion with Morton. He, he, he said, like, you know, you should assume everyone's scouting you all the time. But that's clearly not the case. I've watched a lot of VODs of very, very top players in, top ter- in tournaments. They're obviously trying their hardest. I've seen a lot of cases where they are not scouting. But then the instant someone's little legend shows up on their board, they go to that person's board. So basically, if you're trying to play at a high level and you're scouting, you're forced to flicker scout. And it is very bad for the viewers, especially. And it's also really annoying for the player. Gotcha. So you're talking about from the, the the playing and the viewing experience, the consumption of TFT. It feels like it's hampering. Okay, so let's go ahead and agree. So so Asa obviously uh, agrees. This is his statement <laughs> that he threw out there. Let's go to Mortdog. He actually called you out and said that, you know, he already knows that you disagree with it. Uh, well, sort of. Sort of. Um, bear with me here. The current state, I think people make a mountain out of a molehill a little bit. And yes, you should be assuming everyone is scouting. Uh, and so the information of like, oh, their little legend appeared, like, okay, cool, they're scouting you. Again, you should be assuming that nothing changes. That really doesn't change much, the reality. But oftentimes a lot of design is like what you intend versus how players perceive it matters very greatly here. And so clearly it's bothering a lot of high-end players. Um, the thing here specifically about this call-out, there's a specific thing here that says when you, you should see it as soon as they scout your board. And the reason we actually didn't do that was we were worried about, like, the, the instant, like, appear, disappear, appear, disappear that was going to be problematic. Um, so I don't know if I agree with this specific solution. Um, it could work. Um, but I, I kind of agree that, like, at some point this is going to break down and become a problem we have to solve. Uh, I agree that, like, it makes the viewer experience really terrible. If we ever have to watch from their perspective, if you've ever watched Bebe's stream, he does it in possibly the most annoying fashion of all time. And it's so <laughs> unnecessary. Uh, so, like, because of those things, like, I'll say I agree that we probably have to solve this. Okay. Can you explain real quick what Bebe does that's really annoying? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, he's got it, you know, I think it's tab or whatever, but he will tab click, tab click so fast. Faster than anyone I've ever seen do it. It is, like, ridiculously fast. And so just imagine your screen flashing between four different boards at a rate, you know, a frame a second, and it is just seizure-inducing. It is not pleasant to watch. Yeah, that, that is not pleasant to watch. I, I definitely have trouble sleeping to Bay Bay streams for that reason. Wait, can you talk about... Uh, okay. Because it just feels... Sorry, go ahead. Can you talk about why... Oh, no, no, no. I was just adding commentary. Why that solution wouldn't work. I didn't say that it wouldn't. Uh, like I said, our our instinct and why we didn't go with this in the first place was like the little legend constantly like appearing and disappearing, especially like a common thing we saw players do was like scout player A, B, C, D, E, right? And like in that case, seeing a bunch of little legends was actually very distracting. And so we wanted to like not have little legends constantly flashing in and out of your board, right? Like, so that was why we're like, let's delay it so that if they stay there, they're opting into like, I'm coming to your board. Uh, but again, with all design, design is trade-offs. The trade-off here seems to be that now players perceive that I can invisibly cheat the system and they'll never know I was scouting, even though they totally do. So, you know, again, a, pu- a problem to solve for sure. And that's what I kind of agree with. Okay. Bryce? You know, I've been racking my brain about this one since Asa posted it, and it's so uncharacteristic of me, but I basically have no opinion about this topic. I see both sides. I don't really care I, I will say just thinking out loud about it for a quick second that my favorite part about this change, and I'm kind of sad at where it falls because like I never take future sight anymore ever because I just don't think it's a good augment at either prismatic or gold. Um, but 
when Future Sight felt strong last set, I used to love fucking with people. You take Future Sight, you go long <laughs> enough yeah. so they see you, and then you immediately leave so that they think that, like, oh, you just stayed a little bit too long. And then everyone <laughs> hard positions for your yeah. board because they assume that you're the that yes. you have Future Sight and that you know. And it is a great time. I'm not sure it was the most optimal use of my turn to spend that time fucking with people, but God, did I just get so much enjoyment out of like get, like looking at their boards and seeing the last second adjustments relative to my board. <laughs> it was just so fun. Uh, I, I guess I'm, I agree with the statement. If I have to pick one, because I think that the trade-off is probably worth it. We're like the flicker scouting that people, whether or not they actually need to do it more, like they clearly people are flicker scouting a ton and it does feel a little obnoxious when I watch streams or when I play and feel like when I play, I just don't care. I'll just like let my legend show. It doesn't so much matter to me, but uh, I, I get that people do perceive that it matters. And so that feels bad. So just go faster. I mean, like people's little legends appearing on my board, honestly, don't bother me at all. Cause I don't really pay attention to it. I don't think that I'm getting any information when I find out that someone's getting my board. So if there were little legends popping up all the time and I would just be like, okay, someone's like tab scouting through whatever I'm just playing my turn. Fair enough. I mean, it depends on like what kind of player are you and, and a lot of players who aren't scouting are just going to look at their board and they see all this flickering. I, I don't know if I agree with the solution, but I agree with the concept that maybe something has to be done about it. So I, I'm also kind of like a, agree with the sentiment, but disagree with this specific solution. But I think we can all we can all at least have a consensus that maybe something could be done to improve it. So, so. chat seems to overwhelmingly agree with Asa. So at least you have the people's opinion behind you, Don. Yes, so I'm not sure that's a good uh, I, So <laughs> I, I'm just brainstorming here because that's what I do when I think about problems. Yeah. I God, I shouldn't even say the solution. I think I have a solution. Never mind. I think I have do a it. solution. Say, say it out loud. Say no, it out loud. no, no, because I don't want to say it out loud and then everybody be like, why haven't you done it yet? And it's All like, right. well, because we have development priorities. I think I have a solve, I, though. I do want to say you guys are framing it as if, like, oh, players think it's important. It's extremely important. Last time, more dog asked me to get a clip. I I checked one round, the very first round. Ah. One guy's little legend came to my board. That was the only person I scouted that entire round. Now you could argue that was my fault for not scouting everyone, but I only have thirty seconds in a round. I don't have time to do everything. Yeah, and that's that's just you perceiving it. But but like I said, I think I have a solution now that I think about this. So okay, cool. Mm, okay, all right. Well, we'll put a pin on that. Maybe if the solution ends up coming to fruition, we can revisit it. Agree number two. This one's also a little bit more contentious. Staking in TFT tournaments should be permitted. This is in light of recent events where a community member, Yippie Malkaye, decided to put on a staking tournament with some players, actually Asa being one of them. And then because of some outcry and riot coming down saying that they're not going to permit permit staking ends up being delayed also because of Twitch rivals. So ends up changing a lot of that. And that started a discussion entirely about whether, uh, you know, staking should be something that's legal or permitted, whether the ethics behind it is very good, competitive integrity. So this is actually a pretty good agree, I think. Let's start off with Mort Dog. Okay, obviously, first off, everything I say is my opinion, not riots. Let me be very clear on that, because that's just my personal opinion. Your lawyers appreciate you. I, I, seriously, it's just it's just me. I'm not riot here. Um, that being said, you know, it's interesting. I'm not informed enough to make a great answer here. I haven't actually researched or thought about this a lot. So I don't know, like, the pros and cons very well. So I'm actually going to opt out on this one. But the one thing I'll say is that if I've learned anything over the years, it's that competitive players 
will do anything to min-max, break the rules. Competitive integrity usually means nothing to them, very little. And I'm not going to call out anyone in particular, but I know during the latter snapshots that were just happening not you know less than a week ago, there was some really questionable decisions being made to try to optimize. And so anything that's ripe for abuse will be abused. That's just like design 101. And so everything I know about this kind of stuff is that the reason they don't allow it is because it's ripe for abuse. And that scares the crap out of me. But again, I say this as a very uninformed party. So I actually don't have an answer here. Okay, I, two, two things. One, I kind of want to circle back to you at the end to see if anyone convinces you one way or the other. Okay. And two, what happened on the ladder climb? I, no, I, I don't, totally don't want to single anyone out. And I don't want to even talk okay. about that it's a thing that could possibly be perceived as okay, good. Fair enough. But it was definitely like, come on, why would you even freaking <clears> consider that? And the answer is because they will do whatever they can to win at any cost. Well, what about what about the ethics behind, you know, people who say, hey, if a player from a specific region knows that they can't go to day number three of Worlds and they end up griefing somebody's or like, you know, yeah. self-sabotage so they can help other people. The, the competitive integrity is messing that way. I mean, it feels like a lot of inte competitive integrity is always called into question. Isn't no, that's it? what I'm saying, right? It's like I'm saying it is so hard to achieve competitive integrity because people ah, will I see, I see. optimize and do whatever they can to win at all costs, you know? And so something like staking, as far as I understand it, is ripe for those kind of gross optimizations, so. Okay, okay. Bryce, you were very outspoken when the topic came out on the subreddit. You, you typed out a very long thing. I was like, wow, you had a that lot of time. That was short for me. <laughs> yeah, all right, go ahead. I mean, I'm a... I'm a very strong agree with this statement. I, I saw that I don't hear the counter arguments. I do. I think that they're significantly outweighed by the pros. And I also think that many of the negatives in relation to this have been extremely overblown, overblown. So it's not that you can't concoct scenarios in which a staking tournament could create issues where like, okay, for example, we're all in a tournament. The four of us are playing in a tournament together. It's an eight person tournament. And I, st I buy all of Mort's action. I sell all of my own action. So I have no stake in my own play. So then I just intentionally int to give Mort a better chance. I grief other players' units in order to make it easier for Mort to win. I like target the people that are doing well and I just specifically force the line they're going, right? So there are scenarios you can come up with. But if we're being honest, they're pretty far-fetched. They are extremely easy to spot. I think that the chances of like truly this this happening and us not catching it would be really, really, really low. Um, and I think the benefits are enormous. I think that we could unlock a new type of fan engagement around TFT and esports more generally. I think we get a lot more people engaged in and watching events. I think we create a new type of relationship between a streamer and their fans that would be a really positive thing the notion of like having a horse in the race that's not just the person you want to root for but you took some small piece of their action is i think a really compelling thing to have happen between a streamer and their community i think we could unlock bigger buy-in events i think we could potentially put more revenue streams on the table for for tft esports pros and right now for being honest it is not easy to be a tft esports pro you've got soju gobbling up the lion's share of the streaming viewership.
because Soju is an unbelievable entertainer and also incredibly cracked at the game. And so everyone else who's trying to stream it is a kind of struggle to survive and make this a full-time thing. And I'm not sure that changes any time in the immediate short run because it's it's not like TFT is going to like, I mean, TFT is a really popular game. We have fans on it. It's doing really well, especially relative to the investment Riot has put in so far. But I'm not sure we can reasonably expect it to go from where it's at to like 3x where it's at, which is basically what would have to happen in order to really create an economy in which a lot of players would be able to survive off their streams. Some teams are interested. Some like of the 15 players on our list, I think five or six of them are signed. Right. But the teams that have signed players are kind of it's not like there have been a lot of new TFT signings lately. So I think it's not an easy thing to be committed full time to be a TFT pro. And I think that the scene benefits tremendously from having a lot of full time TFT pros. And I think this is a really good path to potentially get us some. And I think that if we're thoughtful about the downsides, we can control for them. So I thought that I don't recognize them, but I just, I, re I mean, I could talk about this topic for literally hours. So I'm going to shut up now okay, and let okay. other people get in here. But <laughs> I am a very strong agree. Okay. Asa, you come from poker, where this is where I think it originated in terms of this inspiration. Can you speak a little bit to this topic as much as you want? Yeah, I will say um, for the pros, Bryce called out pretty much everything, but I do want to call out the things that most people are worried about uh, based on my perception from reading Reddit comments, reading the comments in the chat right now. Uh, for example, like if money is involved, people are going to do underhand things to win. That actually is nothing against staking at all. Because like Bryce said, if someone sells 100% of their actions, that's very obvious. You can already do that in pretty much any esports. It could already happen at TFT Worlds. For example, um, in the past, you can Google like StarCraft Savior match fixing scandal and read about examples of that in the past. But like someone could just be like, hey, Goobums, I'll pay you a million dollars to go 32nd at World because I have a bet with someone else that no one knows about for like $5 million that Goobon's going to go 32nd, right? And it's like, so that can already happen. So a staking tournament does not, allowing staking does like, staking does not make that situation more likely to happen. If anything, it makes it less likely to happen because it's more transparent who is backing you. And like, yeah, exactly. Like if you're selling out a big part of yourself. So that is, I will say like, that is one of the biggest concerns of staking is like p players throwing um throwing matches to like try to fix the results but that is more likely to happen in tft worlds than in a staking tournament uh the second biggest concern is like promoting gambling and i think that is something that i do think is a concern there's like younger people who play but i mean it's who play tft that's like i don't really have too much to say about that i guess um i mean it's tft is i mean it's yeah it's a reality it's a reality I, and, that, and that's where I guess this is where I come in. So uh, I, I ultimately worry about what kind of audience are we cultivating in general? Because it, the thing the thing about it is that at, at its core, Bryce and Asa, I think they're saying really smart things. And I think you're right from an adult matures perspective. And I think the reality is kind of going back to what Mort was saying, that it is ripe for abuse in, in terms of what happens outside of this environment, right? Because if they allow Maokai to do it, then they gotta allow other people to do it. And that can create some really unethical, bad actors in the space who will be capitalizing on that kind of stuff. And not to mention that there is kind of an infestation of gambling. And and again, you know, I, I personally enjoy recreational gambling. I do it responsibly as you know, and then I try to I try to have fun with it whenever I can. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant of 
the fact that if we want to grow and scale competitive TFT, there's going to be a time where we want to reach a younger audience. And if we're going to be exposing them to these kinds of uh, type of ways where they can gamble effectively on their favorite TFT competitor, I think that there's, there's some lines that need to be drawn. And so, you know, I think the key word that was in Sherman's statement was at this time. I think we're not ready for it. I would think somewhere down the road when the scene completely matures, we can get to a spot where this could be a very powerful tool. But is it right right now when we don't even have a fundamental grasp on what a competitive circuit should be for a, what is a, defined as a pro in TFT? I think we're we're in a, we're not there yet. I think it's kind of premature. So I end up disagreeing with this. I also just to add a little bit of color because I saw something in chat. I never went through the actual process of getting verified on the account to stake, but someone said that they wish the website had stricter age verification. If the website does not have what I would call best in class age verification for a, for a gambling site where they 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 require you to like submit government ID, they verify it, right? They have like know your customers policies in place. There's anti-money yeah. laundering policies in place. If we don't meet that standard, then we then that is a problem and we should. But I'm fiating that we do all of this right. And by the way, it's worth noting that gambling always finds a way people have been being gambling for thousands of years and it continues True. to persist and so for me i always am in favor of licensed regulated versions of this because that's the that is how you really push back all of the issues whether it's underage gambling or addiction or threats to competitive integrity you don't push it into the dark you bring it into the light and only in the light can we actually really work to combat those problems i mean even riot games switched and, to like a loot box model like maybe seven years ago like before you you like a champion you buy that champion you want to skin for a champion you buy that now you buy a loot box and you hope you get something cool maybe you hope I, you get dragon man's nope. yasuo uh, i i can well, let's not open that can of worms, but yeah. there's a whole can of worms to discuss there. So. Okay, more did anyone prepare I'm enough, curious. Do you have a take now, or are you still... I'm, I'm not informed of those. I don't like okay. making... because like, Especially now as a point of authority, yeah. I don't like making claims when I'm not informed enough, and this is a topic I have not researched enough. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I hear yeah, both sides, and I hear some good points, and obviously, even taking all of that into account, there's the assumption if we were going to do it, what would we have to have in place, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I'm just not informed enough to make a solid answer one way or another. I think it's a really interesting topic and maybe something that we can revisit when the tournament actually happens. Uh, it's going to be delayed, and so maybe we can revisit that. And you know, of course, when Ace participates, good luck, man. I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> Thank you. I know I'm. I, I was invested personally, and and so I would. I want to see in terms of emotionally. I want to see what ends up happening from it. I think it's a really cool concept, and I hope that uh, more people can perhaps see exactly what Asa and Bryce were talking about, even though I personally disagree. With that, let's move to our last agree before we go to our final <laughs> segment of debating. It'll be really fun. Is Team Solos, which is the Twitch Rivals format, should be incorporated into the official competitive circuit. There's a lot of positive reception about how that format played out. Bryce casted it. Asa played in it. Uh, Mort Dog made TFT. And so there's a lot <laughs> of people who had... One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> So let's go ahead and see, see, get people's thoughts here. Asa, you played in Twitch Rivals. What do you think? Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I wish there were, like, more... I think 4 versus 4 is even more fun. Um, because, like, I feel like 2 versus 2, you're mostly playing your own game. You're not, like, really trying to target grief. But 4 versus 4, like, really changes the way you play the game. Uh, so I think it's a lot of fun. But I don't think it should be incorporated into the official format because it's just not, like... When you play TFT on the ladder, like, you're playing as an individual. It's just... It's just not something you like practice for. And then, like for example, me and Boxbox, we went on the ladder to practice. We queued up in the game and played as if we were a duo. And 
we we did that understanding that it does cost everyone else in the game like a small amount of LP in terms of EV because like we're playing against them. That being said, it doesn't really change the way you play that much. So I think four versus four, if anything, has more like merit than two versus two. But I think either way, I would disagree. Okay. Okay. Uh, Bryce, you know, as an observer and commentator of that event, what do you think? Can I ask a clarifying question? By official competitive circuit, does that mean we're scoring like it, it's involved in the regionals path to worlds part of the circuit? Or do you yeah, think like so let's say Jade Cup, which is in Cup. three weeks, four weeks, is like all of a sudden the solo. You sign up with somebody else, but you're still competing individually, but now you're kind of tied to somebody else as well. Yeah, okay. Then I'm going to disagree because I think that the format that you play to qualify for Worlds should be this, you should be playing the same game. And even though Ace is saying there's not that many differences, there are some meaningful differences. If nothing else, a big difference is who you happen to yeah. play with, right? If you're scoring points based on the success of the team, I don't feel great about that. TFT ultimately is an individual game, and I don't want someone to basically be carried to additional points to get them into regionals and ultimately in the world. So I don't think this should be part of the path to worlds. I do think that there should be this format should exist on a regular basis. It should be accounted for in the TFT calendar. It is so fun. It's fun to cast and talk about and think about how the team play is working out and some of the really interesting late game scenarios in particular around team play are really interesting. And I love that aspect. But just as a fan, when I'm not casting to a tournament, it's like my favorite tournaments to watch ever. It's two people. There's some given you can you can opt into whatever vibe you want. Do you want like the ultra sweaty, like deep conversations about TFT and optimizations? Watch Ramblin' Robin. Do you want to watch teammates functionally troll each other and create good content <laughs> while playing pretty damn good TFT while they're at it? Watch Milk and Soju, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so you get, you really can often do like a different and super fun TFT viewing experience. So this should be something that we're that we are fostering as part of our competitive ecosystem, even if I don't think it should be part of the path towards. All right, that's that's a pretty good take, Mort Dog. What do you think? So disagree that it should be like points to get you to worlds. Like this is hard disagree. Uh, should we have more official team tournaments? Yes. I know I'm a little biased here, but maybe back me up. Uh, I thought the Mort Dog Madness 4v4 tournament was like one of, if not the most fun tournament in like the last year. That tournament was so fun to watch and so fun to cast. And fun. Um, awesome. I think, yeah, I think the players have more fun when they get to play with other people. It's why we believe social has such a big play. I will say the big failing here is that if everyone's like, yeah, duo solos is better than double up, that means we got a lot of work to do, and I would rather see people use double up if we're specifically looking for 2v2. But I will say so far seeing, you know, solo, 2v2, and 4v4, I'm with Asa. 4v4 is, like, way more interesting to me to watch. It had way more dynamics. We saw things like future sight value skyrocket because of the, the knowledge it provided to teams. So I just, I would love to see, like, one to two official 4v4 tournaments for bonus prize money that doesn't uh, count towards regionals. That would be my personal opinion on that topic because those are freaking fun. Okay, fair enough. And it seems like uh, chat, can we just close the poll? It seems like mostly they are disagreeing, although it's a handful of people that agree and think it's really fun. I think that, I mean, being part of the official competitive circuit could theoretically also be side by side, right? Like it could be its own circuit of people playing their own teams while also playing solos and then also having their own finals in some capacity. I think that's really great. I personally love the dynamic. I think T TFT can feel very lonely at times, especially because sometimes in tournaments, 
it's just doomed. You just, you're not going to advance to day two. It doesn't matter if you can go first. At best, you can just grief someone else's tournaments. But in team solos, you always have to keep playing. That motivation to stay engaged, make it really exciting, make the narrative easier to follow is really nice to have. The the problem with 4v4 is it gets kind of convoluted, especially when it's like four players from one team in the top four. It's like, well, this doesn't really matter at the very end of the stage. <laughs> so I personally enjoy I personally enjoy the dynamic of team solos a little bit more than 4v4, but I totally see where everyone's I, coming from. I, I got to say, one of the highlights for me, though, was when Soju's team all top forward and they realized they'd started the tournament late. So they're like, let's just help out. And we'll all FF and get our points and yeah. move this tournament right along. And I thought that was a great moment. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the the takeaway is there's a lot to be explored with competitive TFT formats, I think, are are really, really fun and engaging. All right. Hell of an agree segment, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us for that part. So while we can all come together and agree, it's time to fundamentally disagree. (laughs) This is a new segment we're bringing. It's our last portion of the show for Don't Talk If You Don't Know. And we're calling it Outlaw the Slaw. (laughs) We're going to have our... Guests (laughs) Guests appear <laughs> and take Bryce on in debates, who is a professional lawyer and a trained debater. He competed nationally <laughs> in debate. What kind of debate was it? It was policy? I did a bunch of different formats, but I had policy most seriously. All right. So he did policy. He tryharded oh, some geez. policy debate. Which is so the worst go form of debate to try hard, by the way. It's the worst. <laughs> no one judged me for that policy. I hated it. It was just what my school had. Fair enough. Fair enough. They're going to take out a predetermined topic. Mort has brought a topic that he's going to debate Bryce on one-on-one. Ace is going to debate afterwards. And then we're going to have three votes. Myself, the person that didn't debate, and chat. That's right. Chat's going to be voting for who won the debate. And so it's going to go back and forth. They're only going to have a couple of minutes. So pay attention. It's going to go three minutes opening, then questions, and then uh, three minutes, and then 90 seconds for rebuttal. Okay, so with that... The first topic is Mort oh, no. versus Bryce. Oh, no. And the topic is a one-trick slash very narrow player cannot be the best TFT player. This is alluded to what we said before early in the show about rankings and certain players' play styles. So we're going to start with three minutes for the affirmative with Bryce, who believes that you can be the best TFT player. Wait, the affirmative is Mort because he he oh, agrees with the statement. It's a negative statement. Yeah. So we're and to be clear, Mort, I, g- I gave them I gave them both the opportunity to pick whether or not they wanted to go first or second because we can just reword the statement to go the other way. So they both picked first, so uh, they they got their you know they can have their opening <laughs> three minutes. Prepared. Yeah, I, I'm okay. not a I'm not a master debater, so this is going to be pretty rough. So let's see how we Here go. Here you go. Three minutes is yours. Start the timer. All right. So when you think a a the best TFT player, right? You your expectation is that you know not only are they going to like win everything and perform very well, which that's where I think this gets a little more debatable. But you should be able to ask this player about information about the game, right? I would imagine their game knowledge has to be really high. Could you imagine walking up to the best player in the world and saying, "Hey, how do you play this comp?" And they're like, "I don't know. I never touch it." I don't know anything about it. I don't know what these skills do. That You cannot be the best player in the world and not know what half the units do. That's just ridiculous. In addition, when we talk about sample size, right, you can probably climb the ladder. You can probably hit top LP with your 4.3 average and climbing. Everything's great there. But the reality is when it comes down to a tournament, you have a sample size of six games. That seems to be what we've decided. Six games. In that six game, there are going to be so many scenarios that you have to be ready for 
And if you've been one-tricking a comp, you're not going to be ready for them. What happens when the game gives you a situation? When you're climbing ladder over 500 games, an eighth place, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. An eighth place in a single six-game sample size, it's going to ruin you. And so you need to learn how to get out of those situations where the game gives you the champs you don't need, the augments you don't need, the items you don't need. And how can you possibly be the best if you don't understand those situations? And we've seen that time and time again. Yes, an augment might have a 42% top four rate, but the reality is if you know how to use it, you can win with it. That's how we saw Worlds 1. That's how we're going to keep, see worlds, keep seeing Worlds be one. And it's just, it's very clear to me that like, you have to not be a one trick. I don't know if that was three minutes. There you go. That was two minutes. That was two minutes. There well done, go. Mort. So I guess we have a minute here just for me to ask questions, right? But this is my first time. I've never moderated debate, so I ask questions here. Okay, so Mort, if a player goes one 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 in tournament mm -hmm. and also has an average placement of 1.0 on ladder with this play style, mm -hmm. you even still, despite having all these imperative results, you would still believe that they wouldn't be the best player. Correct. Because again, they might be the best at that thing, and that might mean the balance is so off that that thing is overperforming. That is less indicative of their skill. That is indicative of their skill at playing that particular composition, not at the game. When we talk about TFT the game, the game is 58 champions, a variety of traits, everything like that. And so even in that situation, and we've seen this before, right? I'll call out Cled Bundy. Yep, he was rank one when LeBlanc was a thing. Is he the best player? No, clearly not. And that, I think we've seen that, what that happened. So, yeah. Even if they consistently do that over a period of time, showing that they can change their play style, but they just choose to focus and expertly hone in on one specific area of expertise. I mean, at that point, we're talking about a reality that I don't think is the case, because the idea that they're going to be able to one 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 with a specific comp, and that's applicable in the game, is that's just a, a fantasy. Like, that's not a reality worth considering. Okay, fair enough. I'm just a asking to just get more clarity into what you're doing. I'm not trying to debate. No, no, no. At that I, point, I'm not. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm explaining <laughs> for the chat for the for people who are on the outside who are just like tuning in. Like, what's going on? Why are they? Why are they? Why, going why are we mad here? <laughs> All right, three minutes on the clock for the negative side. Bryce, the floor is yours. Okay, so Mort makes two core points. The first one is that if you should be able to ask someone about the game and they should be able to know all the things. And if they don't, they can't be the best player. And the second one is that while the best player might be able to deal with this on ladder, this player might be able to play this way on ladder because the volume of games is so high, the variance of tournaments makes this suboptimal. So I'll start by going through those two points and then I'm going to make some, some of my own about why I think this statement is false. So... Okay, the, the notion of like asking the best player for information about the game feels like a little bit of a red herring to me. If we're being honest, you don't determine who's the best by like who can give you the best answers. It's about results on the field or in the server in our instance. No one looks at like Shaquille O'Neal in his prime and says, well, Sha Shaq can only play down low. He's a bad free throw shooter. He can't shoot threes. He can't handle the ball, so he can't be the best. It's like, I don't think the best is the most versatile. I'm pretty sure it's just the best. And Shaq... At his time, in his in in his prime, was the best. He was the the best player in the NBA. He was virtually unstoppable. And even if he wasn't the very best, he was certainly in the argument. And it wasn't. It doesn't matter so much whether or not he actually you thought Shaq was the best player in his prime. The idea is, I don't think it's limiting because you're more limited in what you can bring to the field. It's just about results. The second point about sample size, I'm not sure that really matters either. For being honest, I would really only care about average placement. So if someone playing a more narrow style averages a two but has a higher percentage chance of like going eighth in the tournament 
that doesn't really matter to me. If they average a two, they average a two. And so, yeah, a playing a more narrow style might have a wider band of your results. But if your average placement is the highest, I think that makes you the best. If your average placement in a tournament setting at, at that time. And then I transition to kind of the core part of this, which is I think that as a designer, I totally get where Mort is coming from. And I mean, no flame mint whatsoever, because I think you guys do an incredible job at this. But ultimately, this is really in your hands more than anyone else's. If you want the best player of TFT to be flexed, then we have to find a way to get the balance state there. And we have some patches that are there and some patches that aren't there. And again, that's not meant as a criticism at all. It's an incredibly complicated, interconnected thing you try to weave your way through. But... I do think the reality of TFT is that there's a meaningful percentage of patches where the best player is very narrow because that's the optimal way to play the game. And I think if we look at someone like Milk, for example, he's really interesting because he's actually an insanely good flex player. When you watch Milk play flex, he is very capable of doing that. He's just someone who has identified that he thinks in almost every meta state, even states where people consider it to be more balanced, it is a more optimal path to take a narrow approach. And so it's hard for me to ding him on that. At, at the end of the day, the best player is just about who puts out the results in tournaments. And there's way too high of a percentage of the time where that means playing narrowly in tournament TFT when you're playing with the world's best. So for me, it's an easy to disagree, disagree with this statement. Holy moly, two minutes and 55 seconds. <laughs> Let's let it really clean. We, we look at results all the time, Bryce. I only have like one or two questions here. And we also talk about eye test in terms of player skill. And, and that seems to be a big overwhelming factor, even in your analysis. So what? how do you reconcile this eye test versus results? Because then you you have people who think Solus is a god, and then you have people who think Solus is just a complete fluke player at times. He gets really lucky. How, how, do you, how do you reconcile these differences? I think if you just look at the results in TFT in general, you're making a mistake. You have to look at the results and then do the eye test, and you can see. So, for example... Goobum's best player at regionals. We didn't think that going in, but if you studied his gameplay afterwards, I think that is a very decisive take. And anyone who studied all the different players in the way that I did of that tournament and disagrees with that statement, I will happily have that debate, right? And at the time, Goobum was actually <laughs> pretty flexible. Everyone was was very flexible at the time, and so it was a flex meta, and that was optimal. But there are plenty of times where it could be more optimal to play more narrowly. I mean, look at Milk winning the tournament, right? Like he played a very narrow style and ultimately did very well in that tournament so it's not just did he win it's also did you watch the games and look milk's a beast i mean anyone who doesn't realize milk's a beast his skill for the game he understands how to power spike exactly when he wants to in when he needs to roll how much he needs to roll his micro is cleaner than anyone's like his zephyr his zephyr shroud play his out positioning of his opponents is just so consistently on point even when playing it's the world's best so yeah the eye test matters for sure Okay, okay. Now, more Doug, you have 90 seconds for a rebuttal if you choose to. Yep, oh yes. Right. The floor is yours. Oh yes, okay, cool. Uh, you know, debating is a little bit about logic, and I don't really follow your logic here. Shaquille doesn't, Shaquille O'Neal doesn't know the most about basketball. That's true. He's also like seven foot 42 and has incredible athletic prowess. Your comparison <laughs> to basketball makes no sense. It's an athletic sport that requires physical prowess, not necessarily game knowledge. Let's use a comparison that actually matters. Are there NASCAR drivers that don't know how to drive? No. Are there chess players that don't know all the different ins and outs of chess? No, right? When you're talking about a game of skill that requires knowledge, not athletic prowess, that comparison falls apart completely, and I just don't even know why it's being brought up. This is a game that is mostly about knowledge. The best player isn't who can click the fastest. 
you know, it's it's who knows the most about the game and how to interpret it. Now, at one point, that player, let's hypothetical player who might be the best. You're right that like there might be a meta where it is optimal to one trick. That's true. And that best player will probably do that in that scenario. Right. We've seen high skill players one trick sivver. But the reality is that same best player, when the meta shifts to a more balanced meta, can play different things because they have game knowledge. And again, I'll go back to the simple example of there are three augments. If you don't know what to do with them and you're tech and tactics.tools, you are not the best player. It's that simple. TFT is a game about skill and knowledge. That's it. There, 90 seconds. Nicely done. Whew. All right. Mortal bringing the heat. 90 seconds for the negative rebuttal from Bryce. Okay, look, I don't want to get too far into the Shaq thing. The reality is it's just an example of someone that brings a lot of skill to a game without necessarily bringing the whole package, which I think is important. There are people in NASCAR, drivers in F1, that have a certain type of approach in the way they drive their car. That doesn't mean they don't know the other stuff. It just means they do it a certain way, and I think Milk is a really good example of that. To your point about TFT being primarily knowledge, I completely disagree with that. If TFT were purely about knowledge, then you could just put a test in front of everyone and basically be like, from this spot, what do you do? From this spot, what do you do? What's better, this or this? What item do you slam here? But that's not what it is, because the thing is, TFT is infinite permutation. So it's about adaptation in the moment. It's about speed of decision making. It's about recognizing how strong opponents' boards are, which is not something that's just like a knowledge thing. You have to you have to be able to look at your board, look at your three opponents, and be like, I definitely win this. I do not need to level here. That's not something that's just like a straight up knowledge formula thing. So I think it's I think that it is there's a level of complexity that goes into the real time application application of knowledge that you've come up with in other contexts and trying to identify in that moment and critically think what is the best action for me to take as it relates to your balanced meta comment yeah for sure in a balanced meta someone that is a narrow player is going to do worse but the reality is the majority of tft the majority of tft is not playing that balanced meta state and i have to end with this more the topic is the best tft player cannot play this way that is fundamentally false because there are tons of times where the best tft player can play this way in your utopia, that's not always the Time. case. Done. <laughs> All right. Wow. What a first round Whew. between Bryce and Mortar. Who needs boxing matches between streamers? Am I right? All right. So with that, we're going to open up a poll. Uh, blind, please do that. And have chat vote. And in the meantime, Asa, you get to tell us who you vote for. Who convinced you one way or the other? You know, honestly, I feel like this statement, I have to... I just have to agree with more dog, honestly, but I, I feel like there's almost nothing Bryce can say because as someone who plays a lot of TFT, you have so many options in TFT and you just like, you have to be able to use those options. Cause like, let's say you only know how to play Sivir, you go eight with 70 gold and you get zero Sivirs. What are you going to do? You, you can't just be like, Oh, I'll just take it eighth. So I think like fundamentally the question I like, I just have to go with, yeah, more dog side. All right, so Asa is fundamentally biased towards this game. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of how I felt the debate was, I really liked a lot of the points that Mortdog brought, but uh, I think Bryce got at its core. I think TFT is a game about decision-making, not about knowledge. And I think a lot of times that decision-making starts even before you get your first carousel. And the decision to choose to play narrowly can also be just as optimal as playing very wide based on the current battle states. I think the best player adapts to any situation. And based off what the way Bryce laid it out, I got to vote with Bryce. Which brings us to a one and one, which means 
that chat will decide who won this topic. And I think we have this, this poll is way too long overall. We can just close it. It's fine. We can just close it. Yeah. And it looks like with a 58% vote, no. more dog has taken it okay. over Bryce. Can, can I just say something? So <laughs> on this topic, clearly, like I have my opinion, right? Like I, I clearly think you can't be a one trick, but Bryce won that debate. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. The way you came and like took notes and had I mean your athletic point was like far fetched and yeah. garbo, <sighs> but like the way you approached that debate, like bravo. Like I felt like an amateur. Yeah. But your logic well, like, for, your logic for, was kind of garbo. But for what it's worth, I mean I agree with I agree with the statement. I don't disagree with the statement. I uh like tried to reframe yeah. what the debate was about, but at the end of the day perfect tft has to be played flexibly yeah. there's no way around that because eventually the meta does get to a balanced state and if you only know a narrow set of outs like yeah you'll win sometimes but a lot of the time you're leaving results on the table and we've seen tons of examples i mean you know two worlds ago the comp that won worlds was a dawnbringer reroll that literally no one was open to basically in the whole field i remember when they started going for it, i was like you can't win a lobby like this and it's like oh contrary you actually can so yeah the yeah. uh the stored power lucian is always going to be my favorite that 41 percent top four rate augment you know so anyway that was well done so good luck asa <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Asa. Our second second topic, seeing if Asa can match up to Mort Dog. Ladder performance is a better player of a player's tournament skill than actual tournament results. We're gonna start off with the affirmative, which is Asa. Asa, the floor is yours for three minutes. All right. So, um, obviously, tournament games are more similar to tournament games, but the problem is there's a big sample size issue. That's why I think a ladder ranking is a better indicator. So some of the differences um, would be like different patches that would actually favor ladder, but some of that favor turn results, for example, is playing under pressure. Uh, sometimes you have to play for a specific placement, which obviously certain players could be better at than other players. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you can prep for the players in your lobby. For example, if there's a lot of assassin players, maybe you don't want to spend a lot of time learning Corky or a comp that like is vulnerable to assassins. However, the main difference is that the tourney games are tougher. They're better players. They're trying 100% instead of experimenting. So basically, the average board strength is going to be stronger at every stage in the game. But I think ladder is a better indicator because I think this difference is very overstated. Especially when it's a new set, like right now, everyone is playing. Like all the good players are playing. On the top 32, the lowest amount of games that anyone has is 150. The set's been out for 22 days, hours a day. The the high end people have 11 hours a day. The, on average, like 250 games, that's eight hours a day. So like we're running into each other a lot on the ladder, and I would say like it is not uncommon at all to have a ladder lobby that is tougher than like an average day two astral cup lobby or maybe even a day three lobby like that is not uncommon at all and like it's not like we're like obviously some people are experimenting some people are streaming and not fully focused but like we're definitely trying to win these games so it's like these ladder like these ladder games and that does affect your lp and like the problem with using past tournament results is sample size because a lot of these tournaments are just a few games for example one day, you could get day one if you uh, low roll six games in a row. And you can look at someone who tries very hard on the ladder, such as myself. You can look at Sasuko. Just look at six games in a row. 
where like three are bought. It is not hard at all to find six games in a row where three of those were bought forward and boom. If you if you have those six games, you would have been day one. And keep in mind, the tournament's harder, so it's like it's even easier to low roll that. Um, the best players on ladder average about 3.4 average placement. You can also think of this as 70% top four rate, 20% top one rate. That is very similar to the win rates of poker. Nine person sit and goes is nine persons instead nine people instead of eight, but it's very similar win rates. And every person who has played those has experienced hundred game plus downswings. So yeah, um, more dog mentioned Stetsuko earlier as someone who didn't have good results on ladder. I personally got known for my results in Challenger series, but Setsuko would have won Challenger series if he FF'd against Affies, or if the games were in a different order. So it's like, just like looking at such a small sample size from tournaments, it's just like, it does not outweigh the differences between uh, attorney and ladder play. All right, exactly three minutes on the dot. I want to ask one question to you, Asa. Do you really believe ladder has the same pressure and stakes as tournaments, though? You said it yourself. A lot of times, the streamers or the people you're playing against aren't always incentivized to win versus in tournaments, it's do or die. Doesn't that change the environment and therefore create a more competitive environment to judge your pure skill upon? I think the pressure definitely is a factor. There's a lot of Olympic athletes who are like, oh, I performed this routine a thousand times. I've never messed up and they messed up on stage. I think that is one of the biggest differences, but overall, I do not think that outweighs the sample size of like playing several hundred games on ladder compared to just looking at like 20 games earlier in that set in the tournament. In tournament. Okay. Copy that. All right. Bryce, three minutes on the clock. The slaw is up. All right. Let's do it. So, Asa and I agree about the premise here, right? Neither of these are good sources of data. Ladder games are deeply flawed. Just looking at tournament results are deeply flawed. I'm just going to convince you that tournaments are better data than the ladder game. So let's walk through some of the, some of Ace's and uh, arguments. So the sample size thing is really interesting. Like, yeah, that is the number one thing you have on ladder. It's actually the only argument you can make for ladder is that it's such a high volume of games that it is better data than the low volume of games that are clearly more responsive because it's comparing tournaments to tournaments. The obvious problem with Ace's argument is that it's really bad data that you're relying on, right? You, you come up with some anecdotes here and there, Asa, like you talk about, well, it's not uncommon to have a tournament ladder that's like stronger than, or a random ladder game that's stronger than day two of astral cup it's not uncommon but it is pretty rare for being honest if we went through look through all of your lobbies the notion that it is a, actually a strong lobby top to bottom happens probably like one out of ten games maybe even less and i know that because i play in these fucking games and you guys like i'm pretty good at tft but i'm not that good at tft I'm frequently playing in the middle of a work day where I've like had, I've been up six since a.m. I've got my daughter. I work, work, work. I take a two hour break in the middle of the day to play a couple games of TFT. I'm answering emails on the side and I'm behind on the meta and I'm in these lobbies. That is just not the same environment. So for me, the notion of relying on ladder data at all to talk about someone's likelihood in tournaments is very suspect. Yes, it does matter if someone is terrible at ladder and trying, right? Put aside the like Goobums fucking around, put aside Ramkev playing to learn, Appy's playing to learn, whatever. If someone is hard stuck masters, right? They're not good. And the ladder data is telling us that. But the notion that ladder data is going to suggest tournament results, which is what the proposition we're arguing over, is ludicrous. It's a completely different environment. You're playing with people who don't know how to play TFT. They don't put pressure on your board in the same way. You make fundamentally different decisions in the game because you know the other people are bad. And not bad objectively, but bad relative to you. So 
when it all comes down to it, like we, we essentially agree on the premise, right? Asa knows that ladder lobbies are significantly weaker. He just thinks the variance outweighs. And I don't see that at all. I don't think the variance outweighs. I think at the end of the day, the tournaments are more likely to give you a reflection of someone's tournament quality. You have to look at more than one tournament. I'm not saying a single tournament, but this isn't poker, Asa. Like those analogies always fall flat with me because yeah, sure. The win rate, the top four rate might be similar, but there's no such thing as someone like Setsuko having a bad hundred games swing it literally does not happen because there is so much control over variance so when you're playing people who are worse than you like dish soap is regularly like setsuko is regularly when they're stomping the ladder it's just telling you something totally different about their style all nba players are good pickup basketball players not all pickup basketball players are good nba players end of the day the eye test is going to need to overlay this if you just look at a player's tournament results you're not going to get the answer but if you just look at the ladder you have basically no answer at all okay wow Two minutes and 59 seconds. This man's a pro. <laughs> so when we look at ladder performers and tournament skill, but the thing is, Bryce, it feels like a lot of people who have performed on ladder also have done well in tournaments. You're saying that that is not necessarily. Can you just clarify a little bit the correlation exactly about what separates someone who's actually good at both versus one that's just not uh, good at being beating other people? In I think they're different different skills and we see that manifest in some very specific players like i've used goose as an example multiple times right like goose wasn't struggling in tournaments just because he wasn't taking them as seriously as prepping as hard it's because he was approaching his tournament lobbies as if they were ladder lobbies and he had a bunch of bad habits from slamming items and playing tempo and getting away with it that he could not do when he was playing against good players. He fundamentally changed his approach to the way in which he played tourneys, and lo and behold, he, he does really well in regionals. He makes worlds. And I think there are a lot of other micro examples I could get into, but for me, it's like a correlation does not equal causation thing. It is unlikely that someone taking ladder super seriously and sweating who is hard suck masters is going to do well in tournaments, but that doesn't mean that someone who is good at ladder is going to do well in tournaments. Okay, Asa, 90-second rebuttal starts. Okay, I would love to hear from Goose about what, that, but me and Bryce had this discussion before. I don't know if it's fair to bring this up, but again, the best ladder players are 3.4 average placement. That's, you can think of this as 70% top four and 20% 20, 20 top one. With this number, Bryce is saying there's no way someone like Setsu can go, go through a 100-game downswing, and you absolutely can. We looked at this before. Bryce's argument was that you could get a much higher average placement than that, um, and that's how you would uh, mitigate that because you have so many more decisions. That being said, if the argument is a tournament lobby is so much harder than the latter, then I don't see how, like, if Setsuko is averaging or the best player is averaging 3.4 on ladder and tournaments are harder, I don't understand how one player can average so much better than that in tournaments. Um, again, fundamentally, the, the main difference that we both agree on is that tournament lobbies are harder, but a good TFT player needs to be able to adapt to different lobbies. And even if you are playing in a lobby with a bunch of like GM players, no flame GM players, they that lobby could be very high roll. We're like three people have itis on like three one or something. It's like you have to adapt to that. And that playing in that lobby is very similar to playing in a tournament lobby with a whole bunch of players, good players, like top players who are just mid rolling. Um, so yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Asa. And the closing rebuttal goes to Bryce. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I always think these data arguments get a little bit fishy because the 3.4 average placement from Setsuko is not his actual ladder average placement. It's what he does while streaming, while playing infinite games. If Setsuko were actually really trying to just stomp the ladder, that's actually what Setsuko were out to do. He would have a much, much better placement as a result of that. So we don't really, I don't really look at that and say, yeah. I also think that the like data analysis we went through is a little flawed because it all depends on the standard deviation and like how much variance actually there is in the results. And the, and the thing is, if your arguments were true, I think you'd have better examples to point to. I think you'd be able to point to Setsuko going on a hundred game downswing or anyone doing that, not when they're playing poorly, when they're playing well and just getting unlucky. I think you'd have the ability to point to from all these open field tournaments, someone, there should be some Chris Moneymaker, right? It's a crazy variance run that Moneymaker went through, but that should exist in TFT. It really doesn't. The good players rise to the top because the TFT allows for so much decision-making in the game that it just, the skill ultimately controls. I've already acknowledged that tournament data is not perfect because the sample size is too small, right? The question we have to answer is whether or not it is better. And for me, it is very clearly better to be looking at the tournament data over the ladder data when deciding who is the best tournament players. All right. Okay. So that brings us to the conclusion of this topic let's open the poll and ask chat who you thought was able to get the better of the person in debate also while we're waiting for those votes to come in mort give us some thoughts what do you, what do you think about that how this debate went down yeah so first off i think bryce's debate skills on display here i think he's just a better debater uh that putting that aside though um trying to like assume that you know he's not a trained debater um i think the reality is Bryce focused on the key point and the, the topic, which was it's a better indicator. And again, I, I, I kind of agree that like the only thing Asa brought up here was sample size. There really wasn't anything other than sample size brought up. And I thought Bryce did a better job of explaining more points uh, about why tournament can be perceived as better, what's flawed about using that large sample size. So because of that, I would have to give the edge to Bryce. Okay. All right. Well, I, I think that ultimately there's, too many counterpoints to kind of the way Asa was laying it out. I think Asa laid down really good foundational uh, uh, discussion, but what ends up being when 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 Bryce was able to counterpoint, I think one thing that really swung at me was when he said that you can only point to one or two examples when we have multiple examples of people who don't actually show ladder performance as indicator of their tournament skill, which has been the case for a lot of tournaments, I think. Uh, and, and players are respected for that. You know, I think Bryce, for example, always points at Ramkev as a player that's, uh, you know, doesn't take ladder that seriously. So I think ultimately I choose Bryce as well. I think chat also has swung towards Bryce. That's a 3-0 sweep for the slaw. Bryce went one-on-one -on -one today. But I think overall, it was a really fun segment, and I really value everybody uh, bringing a lot of uh, preparation to and it. Thanks, Everyone worked really thanks hard. Thanks for guinea-pigging this, guys. It was our first <laughs> time in the segment. I was going to say, if anybody else comes on the show and tries to do this segment, like, prep, because Christ. <laughs> that, that, wow. That's rough. We're not sure if we're going to do it every episode, but if we feel like the guests are up for it, because they have to feel passionately about it, right? They have to feel like they can speak to it. It's not just going to be forced <laughs> debate. Uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. I, uh, yeah, exciting. I feel like some guests would be like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> Just look away. All right. Well, that brings us to the closing of this show. We're going to do a couple of announcements. First things first, uh, that's, the debate wasn't the only thing that Bryce won. <laughs> we also asked at the very beginning of the show to vote for the best judge 
on the esports.gg slash TFTPR. When you click on that link, you get to upvote who you think did the best. Bryce ran away with 22% of the vote. That's twice as much as me and Mordog, who are very close behind and second to each other. So well done. Everyone value Bryce's opinion very highly. You are well beloved. Victory speech, Bryce, for this week's best. Honestly, I didn't expect to win that. I, but I will, we take those, I guess. It's been a rough week. This was really fun getting the W in uh, the the (laughs) polls. A nice cherry on top. (laughs) all right all right with that let's talk about what's coming up the reason why we're doing this episode the reason why we power rank this weekend starts the astro cup that's right competitive tft dragon lands begins in 24 hours you get to see day one and day two but it's not broadcasted you want to clarify there's no casting stream but people will be playing if there's anybody streaming their tournaments i'm going to be co-streaming it so definitely come check it out that said, the following week, we'll, we'll be broadcasting the Astro Cup with myself, Bryce, Ca- uh, Casanova, sorry, not Casanova, Bupasaurus, Jirachi, and Lemon Kiwi as a town. That's going to be a fun time, so make sure you tune in then. The following week, we're going to introduce a new episode format for Don't Talk If You Don't Know. There's going to be two kinds of episodes. This one that we just did is a preview episode. Then we're going to do a review episode with just myself and Bryce. We're going to talk about everything about the tournament. We're going to grade players play, right? We're going to say, how did well does Soju do? We're going to give them a grade. We're going we're gonna to do performance ratings and everything. We're going to do user-submitted topics. We're going to do workshop popcorn segments. It's much more intimate, much lower production, but it'll be really fun. That's going to happen the week after Astro Cup on July 14th. So make sure to tune in then. And then our next preview episode will be July 28th, the week of the Jade Cup. So bi-weekly, make sure you tune in here. Okay, with that, let's wrap up the show. Thank you, everyone who joined us. to get some final words and send-off. We'll start off with Asa. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. That was a lot of fun. Uh, debating price was not that fun, but everything else was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You can check out Asa. He streams all the time, and he's killing it rank three right now. He's going to definitely keep pushing for that rank one. More dogs and final words. No, thanks for having me. Definitely not a topic I'm as expert as the two of you on, so felt a little out of water here, but felt I was still able to contribute, and hopefully I don't get flamed too hard for wanting the game to be not about one tricks, and you know, so, (laughs) um, but yeah, no, this is fun, so thanks for having me. I think you did some great. Can we get some hearts and love for Mortdog in the chat? I know he doesn't watch every TFT streamer the way I guess myself, Bryce, and Asa does. But he definitely hung his own and contributed so much to this episode, and of course, TFT. So thank you, more for spending your valuable free time with us on a Thursday night. Bryce, final words? I mean, plus one, thank you both for coming on. This was a great episode. Really, really enjoyed it, and glad you guys kicked off set seven. Uh, I'm so excited to get into the official tournament circuit and see how everyone's form shapes up. It's been a really interesting set to follow in terms of a lot of the best players have struggled on ladder and some of them it's clicked, some of them hasn't. Like Ace is a great example of that where he's kind of gotten to click state. So I'm super excited to see how Astral Cup shakes out. I hope Ramblin' crushes week one and I just can't wait to see the action. Ramblin'! Ramblin'! You got this. It's going to happen tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuned in. This has been Don't Talk. If you don't know, episode six with Frodo and Bryce, Asa and Mort Dog. We'll see you next time for more TFT action.